back to one of these years, our Detroit Lions podcast. Uh, you can now find us on the Athletic app if you haven't done that already, as well as at our usual spots on uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Uh, rate us, review us, subscribe. Uh, get over to theathletic.com. Make sure you've got a subscription there, too. We've got a ton of Lions content, obviously, as well as uh, everything else you need from around the NFL. And uh, Nick uh, Baumgartner here with me. I'm Chris Burke. Uh, Nick's got the Michigan-Michigan State yeah. angles covered, too. we got a couple of... Uh, couple of hot college teams in the area right now <laughs> we've got some run blocking happening in the state of michigan chris by god for the first time Man, in many right? years yeah. we've got all three teams run blocking so we'll take that but i mean there are other problems okay we can get into that too so <laughs> but was, yeah we're doing good what was the collective rushing yards this was, week from the Lions, michigan, like, and michigan state it was like 700 yards <laughs> i think like collective like yards per carry by all teams at this point is probably like at a record high through like if you took like Michigan and Michigan State's first two weeks plus the Lions' first week of a regular season and said like what's the combined yards per carry based on like minimum number of attempts, uh, we'd probably be in some pretty rare air here. But uh, yeah, otherwise things are about what we've expected in every other setting. So well, I guess that's a good place to start because yeah. we got to halftime Sunday, and it was yes we, we got to halftime and we were talking about it. It's like well this this didn't look that bad like right. offensively yeah. it looked pretty good it looked like you know they had him off balance they were running the ball really well especially with jamal williams um hawkinson had a few catches they definitely had the 49ers defense off balance and it was 31 to 10 and so you're kind of wondering <laughs> yeah, like right. is this just how it's gonna be this year where they're you know they have to be perfect and if they're not perfect it's gonna be impossible uh, yeah, I mean, against a good team, and I think that, that when we talk about this game today, I think it's going to be important to note that the 49ers, and I think we agree, we'll see, right, like, about everything, and defensively, I yeah. think they've got some problems and some injuries, uh, <laughs> obviously, that are going to have to be fixed as they go forward here, but this is a really good team, and it's sort of hard to totally judge where Detroit's, I mean, we can, they're bad, but like, you know, I mean, in terms of the, how much further off are they and everything else, because their margin against the Niners is going to be like less than zero. So right. it does have to be perfect in this game. But I think what we saw was if you're playing a team that's maybe a little less than, but you're still probably worse than them, that if the run game, if you can sort of like get into the third quarter with the game at a spot where you can still reasonably really rely on your run game, then I think you're going to be in a spot to scare the shit out of somebody, if nothing else, because... They do have like a real Jamal Williams talked after the game, like very disappointed and like, and he's never disappointed, but you know, like disappointed that like right, yeah. it was working. Like it really sucks that we had to go away from it because we were getting everything we wanted there. And then, like you said, Chris, the game got out of hand. Like they made too many mistakes. All the things we've talked about that cannot happen. This team cannot survive a pick six. We'll just say that right here. I don't care who they're playing. If yeah, Goff, that was a killer. If yeah. Goff throws a pick six, it's done. So, like, those are the things we've seen, we've seen in camp, and it was a little a little bit like what we thought, I think. But um, encouraging and discouraging, I guess, at the same time, it was an interesting day. Yeah, I, I mean, it doesn't help that you get the 49ers, Packers on the road, and then the Ravens right out of the gate here. So it's hard to sort of gauge, and then they get the Bears and Vikings, so maybe and Bengals. So maybe that's a stretch that you get a better feel for where they're at, actually at. But uh, yeah, I mean, the pick six was. That was a killer. And then they come right back after the pick six and they go three and out and the 49ers scored again, right? I mean, I think the pick six made it 28 to 10. So it was 21 to 10 and they had the ball. And if you put together like a couple first downs there, you at least get to halftime. Maybe you get to 21 13. I mean, yeah, it was a four point game uh, with like you three know, minutes to play. It was still yeah, in it. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, as we mentioned in our, as I mentioned in my story coming out of that game, and as we mentioned again in observations, like you take away two, Jared Goff's two worst throws, which was the pick six that he tried to fit through like yep. nine guys Horrible. to TJ Hawkinson, and the miss in the first quarter where he had, they ran the, you know, they had uh, trips to the left. They motioned swift, I think, in that direction. So they just completely overloaded the 49ers and St. Brown. Ran a wheel route up the sideline and was gone. And Goff threw it into the into the cheerleaders. Uh, <laughs> terrible. terrible. You make that a touchdown, and you take away the pick six, and you're you got a chance to pull the upset. Right. And so, and and Campbell said that at the end of the game, like they just don't have 
their margin for error is so slim yeah, because they want to be they want to be what they were in the first quarter until it started to get out of hand. Like they want to run the ball for four or five yards of carry and they want to be in play action spots and third and three. Like that's how this team's going to survive this year. And then they wound up throwing 57 passes because, yeah, you know, they were down 28 points. And so it really did get away from them. But um, I don't know. What do you take away from the end? Because I know people were encouraged by the fourth quarter, the final five minutes and final. I mean, they were still down. 24 with two minutes left and almost almost got it back to overtime uh do you take anything away from that at all that they kept grinding there I do I do absolutely I mean I think that no one measured anything and no one quit and you know we were sitting there in the third quarter talking about you know gee this score looks pretty familiar to the first one Patricia had doesn't it like I mean it was pretty much the same (laughs) thing for a minute there and then you know of course the difference is and then you know it's the perfect timing for it to happen. The difference is that this, this team doesn't just roll over and quit. Like they at no point had faith or, you know, appeared to lack faith in the plan or anything else. And then you take all those things into account and say, well, the roster is just nowhere near functional and all these things. And you say that, yeah, there are definitely things on this tape that they're going to be able to go back and find and be encouraged about. And there are things in this tape they're going to go back and find and be horrified about, but also like <laughs> some that, Shouldn't be that surprising. But I think the stuff that I sort of focus on as we watch this whole thing and as we go through it, and I went back through it again, uh, Campbell noted on it with Sewell uh, about how he almost went on the headset there in the second quarter and was like, I almost said, you know, hey, he's playing pretty well, but he said he didn't want to jinx it or whatever, right? So he didn't say anything. <laughs> yeah. If you go back right. and watch, there's two back-to-back runs in, this, in, in that drive. It's a field goal drive where after the 49ers have gone up 14-7 and you kind of think, okay, well, the Lions are blocking it pretty well, but this probably isn't going to last. And they come back down the field and they're getting into the second level and they can, and San Francisco can do nothing with it. Nothing. And they pan over to Shanahan, who's like looking up, like shaking his head, like, what are we going to do here to get off these blocks? And then they miss, you know, they screw something up and they end up having to settle for a field goal and the whole thing goes to hell. But like, that's kind of the takeaway from what Chris was saying earlier. Like there are little things in this game that if they could have avoided those just horrible mistakes that given the effort consistency and all the other stuff, they may have won the game. Like, you know, so I think that at the end, you have to be encouraged with how hard everyone played. You have to be encouraged with, you know, that the defense continued its resolve and didn't just give up. And then I would also say be encouraged with Aaron Glenn and the defense changing things. Um, That was my other thing I I thought about, you know, in in previous games like this, where we'd see things get away from the Lions – uh, it would get more frustrating when you'd watch Stafford and the offense sort of gear it up and try to get back in it, but Patricia would counter with the exact same defense, and nothing would change, and they would never get a stop, and, and no one would, you know, no one on the sideline would help. And I think that that was another difference is that the sideline kind of helped them out, they paid them back, and then you know you got a chance to win at the end. So, I mean, all in all, they played hard. I, you know, we didn't think they were going to win the game. They lost by a touchdown, so I don't think it's the worst day, the worst day that Dan Campbell could have had. I think the way Sewell played, I mean, if you're sort of looking for benchmarks in however long this rebuilding process is going to take, like that was a moment where you're you're sort of wondering, all right, let's see how he responds. You got Nick Bosa, you got a really good San Francisco front, you know the Lions are going to want to run the football, and you're flipping Sewell from the right side to the left side, you know, like 72 hours before the game starts. Let's see how it goes. This is a huge test. We've talked, you've talked about it especially a lot. Like this, a lot of this year is just about let's put guys out there and see what happens. And Aaron Glenn has said, you know, time and time again, like you can't be afraid of young players. I think he said yeah, it to you yeah, when he did. a question last you week. asked him this mm-hmm. last week. Like you can't be afraid of young players. So, you know, if they're ready, we're going to put them out there and we're going to see how it goes. And that was a moment where you kind of, you know, hold your breath yes. and wait to see what it's going to look like. Uh, and on like the, I mean, it's like the second or third play of the game. You know, he got beat inside by Nick Bosa. Um, there was the play where Goff like almost broke his leg because right, he got yeah. hit. Uh, but you know that one too. Um, I think Matt Nelson got beat. Jackson tried to cut block his guy and whiffed, and so there was just it was a meltdown. But other than that play, I can't really think of any where Sewell just got flat out beat. You know, where he was scrambling around or where he really whiffed on a block or anything. And he played really well against a very, very good 
pass rusher. And at, at one point, you know, the 49ers even flipped Bosa to the other side to get him some looks well, right. against Matt Nelson and yes. see if they could team off there. So I think that tells you something. And so that's this is what a lot of the season's going to be just finding those silver linings. And to me, like the run game in general looked great when they had the chances to do it. But that left side of the line, uh, Ragnow, Jackson, uh, Sewell, like, I mean, Ragnow's your veteran oh, there. Geez. Those are, that's a, that's a trifecta you could have out there for years and years yeah. now. And they looked like they could really develop into something special. And, you know, we've got, some questions at the end of the show and mm-hmm. multiple about what to do with Taylor Decker's. So we can get into that yeah, later. Okay. But that was, I mean, that was really impressive what they did in the first half. Absolutely. Up front. Absolutely. I thought they were Absolutely. really good. Yeah. They gave up some pressures in this one, but I mean, you throw the ball 60 times and that's going to happen. But no, I mean, absolutely. Sewell, what? I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll have to wait and see. I don't want to jump the gun here because it's the first game and everything else. We're going to see, I guess, in a month or whatever how he performs here. And it, you know, he's going to get the four games maybe at left tackle. But if I'm just basing all things on this one, if I'm Brad Holmes and I went, I'm, I'm driving home in my car on Sunday night, like I'm telling myself, Sewell, uh, check. He's good. Like This is going to work out. Like He was one of the best left tackles in the NFL on Sunday, okay? Like, he was that consistent against one of the best pass rushers in the game. And, and we talked about this in, like, the second quarter, and Campbell said it after the game, the craziest thing here is that (laughs) it actually made more sense to put 20-year-old Penny Sewell in 70 hours of prep time on the left side (laughs) because they knew that Bosa was going to be on the left side. And as crazy as this sounds, Sewell is a good matchup for the Lions for Bosa because of his athleticism, his freakish power, and all the things that Bosa does to people that most tackles cannot handle. Sewell is built to handle it. So, so like, yeah, we got to the second quarter, and I was like, they're going to have to move Bosa to the other side because he can't power rush Sewell. He couldn't get around him. I mean, there, he beat him inside early, but every time he tried that, like, power right to the chest, Sewell just... He anchored right underneath of himself, and there was nothing. He couldn't get around him. I mean, he was really, really good. And they gave up. You know, he got rocked a couple times later in the game, and Bosa got his feet under him. But I could see why Bosa complimented. I think Larry Lage got that quote after the game that Bosa said he was really impressed by him uh, and thought, you know, hey, left side, he looks pretty darn comfortable. I don't know about the right, but – and we'll see how that all goes. But man alive, he absolutely looked like looks like he's the real deal. He was one of their best players already. Uh, yeah, I think that's very encouraging going forward. Okay, well, maybe we can get into Decker. Yeah, I mean, we can do it right <laughs> now if you want. I because feel I, like it's, it's, yeah, I feel like it's right there. Uh, I, and this is really a two-part discussion, which is, A, you know, do, do you already have a sense for what the Lions are going to do when Decker's ready? And Dan Campbell kind of laughed it off when someone asked him, yeah. uh, like, this week, I think Monday, <laughs> um, you know, what what's the plan when Decker gets back is Sewell going to stay at the left and he kind of laughed it off and said we just got to go game by game yeah, right now right. um but obviously a you know big picture that's a discussion that looks like it's probably going to have to happen at some point and then B do you fault the Lions for not doing this from the start no I guess yes. is the okay. other conversation okay. yeah, yeah uh let's start with the second part no I don't um I don't part I don't fault them for trying this because I do think that Decker uh while he can play right tackle Right, I think that that's, and we've talked about this before. I still think that he translates best to a left tackle in the NFL. Um, you know, he's body type, everything else, the way he's kind of built his body, and the way he's sort of, I think, even trained and everything else, just sort of makes him a left tackle to me. I think that the way he plays it makes more sense. Do I think it's impossible for him to flip over and play on the right? No, I don't. I think he. Could do that. I know he played right tackle some in college. Um, I think, did he play some right tackle his first year here? Did he play right tackle? I think he was left tackle right away. Right away. So he's um, le- and I think that was part of the problem. So he's le- <laughs> he really was bad. The, right out the, the shoot, he's left tackle in Detroit. It's not impossible for him to flip around. He's 28. He's also not as, he's not the physical powerhouse that Sewell is. The reason why I thought Sewell made more sense on the right side in this situation is that he's stronger. Is that, you know, you yeah, can put him on the right. right side next to a big guard and you could just front side your line with just a powerhouse and let him do but the difference here and this is where this has to become a conversation because it does have to become a conversation probably pretty quickly especially if Sewell 
holds up again next week. And of course, there was some hyperbole in my rant there, of course. We're going to have to see how he holds up against these next couple teams because they've got some whoppers coming in. But if you get through Green Bay and Baltimore, and Sewell is still protecting pretty well outside against some of the speed he's going to see, and it's because he's more comfortable with his pass sets on the left side, then you have to, that has to trump everything. And then you have to go to Decker and say like, we signed you on a big extension, but you're a veteran here. And we need you to adjust for the kid. We need you to figure this out. Like that that's what I would do. If you get a four, four weeks in and it's so clear that Sewell is like, he's in a groove at left side, I would not mess with it. And like for the same reason that I was nervous for them for messing with it 72 hours ahead of this. Like, I was like, I wouldn't mess with it unless you had no faith in Matt Nelson on the left side, which is maybe what this was. So you're going to have to wait and see how it goes, of course, but it's definitely something that they have to talk about probably right now with Taylor, you know, Um, and maybe it's something they already have talked about. I don't know, but I was curious your thoughts, too, on this whole thing, because it's talk radio is going to be carrying on about it for the next six weeks. So we might as well Uh, get into it here now. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's not going to stop. Well, it's tough because I think. I think one thing that people are missing in the conversation right now is that Taylor Decker was legitimately very good, a really good left tackle. Yeah, <laughs> you know, is a really good and left he could tackle. Be a good like right last tackle. season, I, you know, I mean, I don't know that. Yeah, I mean, last season he was. I mean, he wasn't an All Pro tackle, but he was one of the better left tackles in football last year. I think. I mean, like at least top ten, top fifteen tackle. Uh, and so the difference is that with Sewell, you are talking about. Well, he probably he might have that other level. He might yes. have that all pro level, yeah. and so that's the difference. But then, yeah, you get kind of into this no man's land where I think the last time Decker played right tackle was like 2013 he was like 20 at Ohio years State, old. Yeah, right. and then they flipped him to left, and he's been playing left tackle for like eight years now. Yeah, so right. all the stuff that you know we talked about the difficulty Sewell had in going left to right. That wasn't just because Sewell was a rookie year because he hadn't played in a while. Like that's a thing that tackles have to face when they're flipping from left to right. Hundred percent. Ask Taylor Decker to do that. You're having some of the same conversations. Like how long does it take him to figure it out when you're asking him to do, you know, reverse all the footwork and all the handwork and everything that he's done for eight years. And so that that's tough. But yeah, I mean, I'm with you again. I don't want to get too far ahead of it. Maybe the Packers just tee off on him, and they've certainly got some pass rushers and uh maybe some speed guys too that they can bring at him but if he plays like that and especially if the run game looks like that like if you want to base this on the run game and the left side of your line with Sewell Jackson Ragnow is just caving defensive lines I mean maybe that's just that's your answer and you figure out the rest of it yeah and I think it's definitely something worth watching or worth tinkering with for all these reasons because maybe matchup wise I don't know, man. Like, matchup-wise in certain situations, like we talked about earlier, like maybe it would behoove you to continue to work a situation as you go forward here. Maybe you don't want to do it right out the chute. Maybe it wasn't something you planned on. But, like, not the worst thing in the world maybe to down the road say, hey, we get we got Sewell here. He's good enough to play either side. We think he can do either if, you know, given a situation, if we like this guy, like a matchup with him on the right side against this team, maybe on the left side against this team. Because the thing I would say is the run game stuff with Sewell – he can do that uh, at right tackle, left tackle, right guard, center, uh, bench, doesn't matter. He can do that anywhere. He can rock people off the line of scrimmage wherever he's lined up. This is mostly a pass protection situation. So the best point there is that what Chris just said about Decker, if you're going to do this, then you really have to start talking about it probably right now in that you know Decker's got a hand injury, but you'd be talking about like, Hey, if if we're gonna think about this, we need you to take some time over the next couple of weeks to, you know, maybe get some mental reps, maybe get yourself whatever. I don't know how how involved that is, but like, you know, he's a pro, he's 28, he's on a long-term deal. I don't think Decker would fight them on that or anything at all, but it would just be a matter of like, you gotta have that decision made about where you want to go with it before you want to do it. I think you'd that's my thing. Don't make that decision two days before Decker comes back. You know what I mean? Like Right. Those are things that need to be discussed like right now, you know, deeper than Campbell sort of laughing it off and being like, well, I guess we'll talk about it every day for the next six weeks here in the media tent. But like until then, you know, behind the scenes, they really do have to get on that. It's it's interesting you bring up the matchup thing. And I can't I think it was must have been Jeff Davidson, the previous offensive line coach before Hank Fraley. And I want to say it was because. You know, Ragnow started at guard and then they played him, you know, moved yeah. him into center. And I 
I asked at some point what you just talked about. I asked Jeff Davidson at some point, like, have you guys ever, like, do offensive line coaches or offensive coordinators ever consider playing matchups like that at, out along the front? Like, all right, well, Ragnall's been really good at guard, but we think he, we need him inside at center against this team because they play 3-4, they got a athletic yeah, right. nose tackle, whatever. And Jeff Davidson laughed at me like it was the stupidest <laughs> question he'd ever heard in his life. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, for inside guys, I don't think that that's a thing. And I don't think it's a thing really at all. I don't think it is, but, but I think it's Sewell interesting to consider. It's so unique. And that's why I think that it's something that I don't think that I here. This is what I would say. And again, I, I thought the rotation that they did with Glasgow was stupid. I thought it was the thing. It was, and I thought if I look back on it now, it was no other reason other than let's mess with Glasgow's reps and see if we can get him back cheap and get him out of here if we don't. Whatever. This is different, and I think the only reason you would even consider it would be because Sewell is so unique, and it wouldn't be something that would happen until down the road. I have no idea, but like, ideally, you're putting him somewhere and you're leaving him there for the year, right? And you're not moving him around. Um, but it's not the worst thing in the world for him to know how to play both because you don't know where your line, you know, kind of complain. And I know people are like, this is this conversation ends at the trade block. You got to trade Decker's ass right now for like picks and everything else. You don't know what you're, you don't know what your offensive line is going to look like, you know, going down the road. So like, it's not the worst thing in the world that Sewell knows how to play multiple positions. Uh, matchup wise, I mean, you know, he's a weird, he's a unique guy. So I, I don't think you can take anything off the table with Sewell, uh, but it's right now you do probably need to start a little slower. Yeah. I, uh, I said, I don't think that they'd be flipping around guys every week, but Dan Campbell also did leave the door open a little bit for that. Cause he said, you know, we're just trying to figure this out. We right, yeah, exactly. you know, match up to match up. Who's going to be here. Uh, who do we need out there? And I think part of this discussion is like you said, I don't think they really have another option mm-hmm. at left tackle. No. So I think Sewell probably needs to plant there. I don't know how good they're going to feel coming out of that game with Matt Nelson at right tackle. I think he was their worst offensive <laughs> yeah, lineman. Right. So right. now, like, that might be one of those where they're playing around this week. Like, all right, well, should we try right. Stenberg at guard and that's what I wonder. Yeah, that's what and I wonder. Just see if we can, because that at least, uh, and I haven't really gone back and, and charted, I guess, how many runs went to the left versus how many went to the right. But it felt like they had a lot more success, like from center mm-hmm. to left tackle, than they did going the other way. Yeah. Um, and so that might be one thing. Maybe they try and tinker with that a little bit because you know Stenberg can get in there and run block, and you know Vitae can run block. And yeah, that was the one thing I wondered. Maybe yeah. neither of them can pass protect, right. but at least you're on the front <laughs> side of your quarterback. Right. So. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Sewell's probably there. And again, I don't know that you want to like, yeah, you can't <laughs> week one. Like you said, people are already trying to get Decker out of here, but <laughs> you know, he's 28. He's a leader on this team. You just signed him to extension not that long ago and he's a really good tackle. So I don't know that right. you're really in a spot where you want to just be bailing on those guys. Maybe this off season, like if this goes the totally, way, yeah. like if Sewell locks in for 17 games and he, is set as your left tackle of the future, and you've got, you know, that left side of the line set. Yeah, I mean, if that's what maybe, you maybe right, I don't, maybe you start kicking it around. I don't think anything should be ruled out, definitely. But I don't, I don't, I don't think you sit here and make like bold proclamations like they need to do this. Like that's the thing I would say. Like nothing with the Lions right now needs to be ruled out, but like these bold, like they have to do this right now, like that. They don't have to do anything right now is my other counter to that. Like, So when you're hearing the screaming and yelling in your car uh, through the radio over the next couple of weeks, like remember that. They don't have to do anything right now. They are in game two of a three-year rebuild. So this is going to be a process, <laughs> and I think that it's important to remember that every day this season as it goes forward, as we've talked about. And we will continue yeah, to I remind mean, you of such. Just for – just to sort of – put a bow on this Decker's basically untradeable this year because of yeah, his contract right. next year you could do it in the offseason it'd be it wouldn't be quite the Stafford hit but it'd be sort of Stafford-esque where you'd just be you'd be get taking the taking the hit for 2022 it'd be like 14 million dollars in dead money and clearing the rest of the contract off but he's signed 
through 2024 and then has a void year in 2025. So, I mean, this isn't like exactly you're on, on the brink of Decker walking. Like, <laughs> no, this is something no. where it's very much you part want of your team. Sewell and yeah. Decker to be your tackles for the next three years, you can have Sewell and Decker as your tackles for the next three years. So, um, and we're also like, 10 days removed from people freaking out that Sewell looked bad in the preseason. <laughs> so, right, exactly. So I, I, just, I guess I'd just say patience, like yeah. you said, patience on all of this. Um, Sewell's going to have days where he looks like this, and he's going to have stretches where yeah. he looks bad. But, like, I think the point is, is it's in there. Like, it, he's like, that the ultimate point, the only thing that matters, and the only thing that Holmes told himself on the car ride home was, like, it's in there. He's not a fraud. Like, and I think that that, that you can breathe easy on. Sewell can hang. I think we saw that in game one. And my God, for a franchise that just watched its uh, previous number one pick blow his Achilles, like saying to yourself after the week one, like he can hang is a pretty good, you know, feather in the cap based on where they're at, I think. Uh, I do want to, we got a bunch of questions on Twitter I want to get into in a little bit, but a couple more things to talk about before we get to that, which one is, I mean, we've gone... 26 minutes here without really talking about Jared Goff all that yeah, much. Yeah, so yeah, that's yeah. Uh, a record probably, but <laughs> or, let's or talk about Harris. Jared Goff yeah. a little. Cause if you just pulled up the numbers, yeah, 38 completions, 338 yards, three touchdowns, two, two point conversions. They put up 33 points. Like on paper, it looks like a pretty good day. <laughs> pretty good. <laughs> and the first three plus quarters were fairly uninspiring. Right. I would say, <laughs> right. Yeah, there's two little numbers here, and I, I'm uh, there. I had somebody on Twitter, and you know, <laughs> God bless the guy. He was like another dumb sports because I, you know, he, he responded to me about a tweet I had about golf having a terrible first half. He's like, "What a dumb take!" Golf had 338 yards and three touchdowns. Stafford, <laughs> oh, no. Stafford, who was the was the answer? <laughs> and rather than getting into this on Twitter, I would pull up to this gentleman a box score and say, "I want you to look at two numbers: one from Jimmy Garoppolo and one from Jared Goff." It says average, 12.6 for Garoppolo, average for Goff, 5.9. 5.9 yards per attempt is horrible, is horrific. 12.9 yards, 12.6 yards per attempt is ridiculous. So you flip it around and you say the first half for Goff was, I don't know if I would call it a disaster, but it was pretty close. He was really bad. It was all the things that we saw him struggle with in camp showed up in real time. I mean, it was... He was hesitant with his decision-making. The ball wasn't coming out fast enough. Uh, He was not comfortable with the shot plays when they were there or when they were dialed up. He checked the ball down. And then you saw the interception. It was another example of him not being comfortable in the pocket, not willing to stand in against pressure and take a hit. And he panicked and threw a ball over the middle into three people and it gets picked off for a touch. Like, these are things that we did see from him in camp that we did see from him last season that showed back up. Now he played hard and continued and fought his butt off to the end. And that's great, but he cannot play like that in the first half. They're never going to win a game if he plays like that in the first half. And that's the takeaway for me. I, yeah, I mean, I agree with you on all those points. I, uh, it's, I guess the alarming thing for me is like you said, I, I think a lot of those wound up, looking like pressures or looking uh, yeah, like right, exactly. no one was available. And and I, I won't put everything on Jared Goff, but I would say uh, at least half of those plays that kind of fell apart through the air were because he just got sort of stuck. And we saw stuck. him stand in the pocket. Yeah, right. or we saw him. He had the one where he like did the bail, like the spinorama bailout into a sack. <laughs> and like, you know, he just looks so uncomfortable back there um and and i've been trying to hold off complete judgment because like the nfl refuses to give us the all 22 film right yeah it's hard hard for me to say like well guys were open on every play exactly or or vice versa and i don't think guys were open on every play which i think is the other part of the problem here like he threw to hawkinson and swift and williams because a lot of times that was what was there there didn't seem like there was a ton of separation being created down the field by really anyone, but at the same time, and we both pointed this out out of the game, there was one very specific play right before the pick six. I remember they called play action. They got him out of the pocket. They had two receivers running deep. There were three San Francisco guys back, 
But both of those throws were available. If he he had the the throw coming like a deep post that the safety was all turned around. If he leads him down the field, that's fifty or sixty yards, and he had. Uh, I think it was Williams. What was the other route? You know, I think it was yeah, Williams going uh, to the it corner. Was Williams. Yeah, yeah. It was Williams. Going to the yeah, pylon. going to the corner, which was a one-on-one <clears> shot. Yep. Again, 40, 50 yards downfield, and he threw a zero-yard pass <laughs> to DeAndre Swift. Right. Like, <laughs> And I'm sure some of that is what they've been telling him to do. If it's not there, check it down. We don't want to make mistakes. We'll just live to see another play. Yeah. But Campbell also said it after the game. We, you cannot live in this league completing three yard passes all game eventually you've got to get some chunk plays it just has to happen and they didn't even really look for him uh until you know the end of the game and then he threw a couple you know 15 20 yards but at some point he's gonna have to turn it loose or this offense yeah it has a very low ceiling on what it can accomplish each week did you listen to um did you watch Monday Night Football last night did you listen to the Manning the Manning yep. cast yep that was really yes, good by the way I uh I don't know if people were listening to the Manning cast but toward the end of the game um Peyton Manning was talking about Derek Carr on I think one of the last drives of regulation checking the ball down and it was like the Ravens are playing this like soft coverage and he's checking it down checking it down and he was talking about it with this like frustration Peyton was in his voice like you know sometimes as a quarterback you know you're like wincing and you're like you, you got a sh- you got something with like a deep shot on that you think you're gonna like but like you just don't want to do it because like you they're giving you 12 yards they're giving you seven yards you want to take the right decisions but he's also saying in the next breath like but there are times where you've got because you know it like you've got to take a chance and you've got to make the defense prove that they can cover the full distance. And that play that you're talking about for golf is like the exact example. Like you've got to show the defense, like you're capable of forcing them to do something beyond just sitting in a shell because he's got the safety turned around and he's got Tyrell Williams going to the post. He's got one, he's got two options either, or you're forcing the defense to change the math on everything they think about you. If you make that throw, the whole thing changes. So the lions aren't dialing up shot after shot after shot all game. But if you're golf, like, and to Campbell's point, the four or five that they're situationally trying to look at, you need to take chances on those. You need to let it rip, and you need to be comfortable and careful, you know, and confident enough that you're going to be able to land those. Or this is pointless. Like, the, and that's the thing I think that Campbell's talking about. Like, there's going to be three or four times in a game where we're going to get a favorable matchup. It's not going to be perfect, but this is the NFL. Throw somebody open, go make a play. You're making twenty million dollars. Like that's. That's, I think, the conversation that we're going to have with golf as we go forward here is are you going to take the chances when they're obviously there? And everyone in the building saw that one. The whole field, the whole stadium groaned on, the, on that one, on that check down. So there was a couple of them. The one that you mentioned where he rolled out into a sack, I thought in the first half, I thought that was another one where Hawkinson's running down a seam in single coverage. Stand in there, take a hit, throw the ball, and it, it might be a 35-yard play and you might get a touchdown. Instead, he rolls out sack punt. Like, can't do it. So... Those are the things we talked about in camp that ended up being the pat, 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 check down, throw out of bounds, and we're seeing it again, and you just, he's got to get out of it. We can't see it anymore from Goff. I mean, that's the stuff we saw last year, too, you know, so, yeah. I mean, even the last play, like, the pressure got on him pretty quick, but it's fourth down, you're down by eight. Like, just, yeah, you got to put it in the end zone. Right. Like, just throw it to someone and <laughs> see if they can go get it. And I think that, you're right, that's, of all the things that worry you about Goff's game, that's probably the one that was the most concerning Coming over, it's probably the one that drove Sean McVay the craziest. And it's probably the hardest one to fix because he's now in his, what, fifth year? He's been in this league for a long time. And if it's still, if if he hasn't been able to speed up the process at all, I don't know how you get him to do that. And I think that that is a big challenge. And we haven't really seen any progress on it since he's arrived in Detroit. I do kind of wonder if they're going to come out Monday night and just one of the first like two or three plays. Like last time Lions went there on Monday night, they ran a flea flicker and Stafford threw deep to Galladay on like it might have been the first play, the second play it was from scrimmage. First drive for sure. Yeah. And I kinda wonder if they're just gonna, you know, second play on Monday, dial one up and run like four verts and just say, You gotta throw it. Just <laughs> yeah, throw it. Right. Yeah, just do like, it. Take the yeah. sideline guy. <laughs> like if you need to lead him like toward the sideline, so it's gonna be a catch or an incompletion. Fine, but you've got to throw it downfield because, <laughs> like you said, it, teams, especially with the way they ran the ball, I know 
the Lions are going to see seven and eight guys in the box all the time if this keeps happening, and that is going to get you one-on-one matchups on the outside. It's going to get Hawkinson locked up one-on-one with a safety or a linebacker, and you're going to have some chances to go vertical and stretch the field, and Goff just has to take them, or this run game is going to slowly start to lose its steam because even if you block... I mean, if you block as well as any team can possibly block, if it's eight on six in the box, you're not winning a lot of those battles. So at some point, he's going to have to let it loose. And this is the offense. This is what makes it work. And it does, and it would work. And I guess is the thing that I would, I go back to and I say, like, hey, man, like this was a pretty good plan, I thought. Right. Overall from Anthony Lynn. Like, you know, and it, like you're saying exactly, like you're forcing teams to load up against you and, you're creating all the. This is why they signed Tyrell Williams. This is why he's here. This is why, like, they they brought him here to take these like handful of stretch plays a game because you know that eventually, when you when you hammer people on the edge like this, like they can, and you hammer people inside with that gap stuff like they can, when you can go tight and put heavy people on the field and play action people on shots when they're loaded up you're going to get gimme touchdowns. If you have a quarterback that can just stand there, take a hit and throw the ball into a reasonable area where your receiver can go get it. Like you're going to get gimme scores. And like, that's what they're, they're missing because they're there. He's just not seeing them or not taking the opportunity to even get the ball there. So you're right. They won't be there as you go forward. And that's going to be the difference. So long way to go for golf, but I mean, you like his resolve and everything else, but uh, yeah, the ball's got to come out faster. I mean, we talked about that too. Like the the there's one throw, and I, he comes back on the very next one and throws a touchdown to Hawkinson. But the throw before the touchdown to Hawkinson, the one where he gets Swift against the linebacker, like that's a play where Lynn's got oh, that. Yeah, right. Lynn's got it yeah. dialed up perfectly. Swift is against the linebacker. It's the perfect matchup. Throw the ball on the break, and it's a touchdown. He's dusted him, but he doesn't. He waits two more steps, then gets him the ball while the linebacker's already on his hip, and it's a you know two yard pass. These are the things we're talking about. It's like a one and a half second lag that has to go away with him, or you know, it's going to be even that much more difficult. Going back to the Monday Nighters, since we both watched that, like that—that's how the Raiders scored a couple of yeah. their touchdowns. <laughs> like the Bron and the one to win the game. Yeah, you know, it was just they were take a shot. zero. They were bringing the house, and Carr just like lofted one up, and it was a touchdown. And I, I asked off after the game because I was curious. Like I said, I don't. I haven't been able to watch the All-22, but I, live, I didn't... Uh, there weren't a lot of times where it's like, well, this guy, he's wide open all the time. You got to throw him the ball. I don't remember seeing a lot of guys running free. I don't remember seeing a lot of huge windows. Uh, that's probably my biggest concern with what Amon Ross St. Brown's numbers are going to look like this year because I think he's super effective, but if Goff doesn't trust himself to throw into a tight window, he's going to catch like 15 passes. Um and so I asked off after the game, like, how much are you still feeling out what you have? Because they lost Williams. They obviously they cut Perriman. I think again, I I couldn't see the number live, but I think it was Benson was running the deep post on that play we were talking about. Like that's a guy who just got in the building a week ago. How much are you still feeling out your receivers? And Goff said, Well, yeah, there's still some of that. Um, you know, but once you get to Sunday, you gotta go play with what's there. But I do think that. This should get more comfortable for them now that they're live and they're out there. I mean, he hadn't had any game reps with Hawkinson or Swift or Williams, really. I mean, there there's a lot of there were a lot of moving parts, and so in theory, this could get better as it goes. But again, I think that Anthony Lynn's going to have to just keep dialing up some of these deep balls, and yeah, someone's going to have to get in Goff's ear and say, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> Like Take just throw it sixty yards over everyone's head and let it be an incompletion, so the defense can see the ball going over their heads and <laughs> do think something. about it do as you're rolling what's out of the, the pocket. What's that thing McVeigh had? Like <laughs> McVeigh used to, was it T-shirts they made where it was like "Good day to throw the football." Like, <laughs> hey Jared, do you feel like throwing it today? Because for the love of God, could you please throw the ball more than like five yards today? I I think I totally agree with everything you just said there, and also I would say with Lynn like too. The other thing to work on with golf is that, like, get the ball out. Like, get off your first read, get the ball out. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. they've got guys on this team that can make things happen if the timing is bang, if it's right there. But, like, it's a disaster if you can't get the ball out. Like, it has to be faster. And I think that that's, like, 
the thing that I was reminded of watching Stafford on Sunday night, like there were times with Stafford that we would see where he would be late with the ball, but he made up for it because when his when he finally would make that decision, he just rifles it like as fast as you know he just slams it in there with this like speed that Goff has a strong arm, but it's not only the lag of the processing time, but there's also times where I wonder it's like okay, you've made the decision to go with it, but you still decided to take something off that throw there. What what are you doing? Like be more assertive. Like I think that's right. That's probably the the long and short well, of it is be more assertive. But like you said, this is not a new development. Right. I mean, in a, a red flag for me all we've seen. when I'm watching in training camp and things like and practices is when teams are in, especially in seven on seven, mm-hmm. and the quarterback ends up scrambling <laughs> and just running out <laughs> right. of bounds. Yeah, like that's and not we an saw option. that happen <laughs> all the time with golf in camp. There were like four or five plays every single day. <laughs> where he'd just tuck it and go in the seven-on-seven drill because he couldn't find anything fast enough and, you know, they're whatever. They're giving you three, four, three seconds and then you got to get out of the pocket or some one of the coaches is yelling, like, time's up, you got to do something, and he's tucking and running. And so that was a red flag that he wasn't feeling confident enough to just let it rip, and he's obviously still not there. So we'll see because the offense, again, like I think there is a ceiling, very clear ceiling on this if he's not going to be – like at all a threat downfield um defensively you mentioned the okuda injury uh, there's a that that one is a yeah, that's a, a big blow I, I mean i know people around here have kind of already given up on him but this coaching staff seemed legitimately high on the progress he'd made he'd stepped up as a leader in a very young secondary they were asking a ton of him um and now you lose him he he you know, last year was basically a lost season. Now his second year is a lost season. And so you're starting to wonder if this is just over now for him in Detroit. And that's one part of it. And the other part of it is that I don't know what else they do in the secondary. And I don't know how they fix the defense to make it better than it was against the 49ers. So where do you stand on that side of the ball? Like where, what's, what should fans be uh, feeling good about coming out of that one? Well, um, I don't, I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to totally judge everything the Lions did run defense wise from this one because San Francisco's run run game is ridiculous. It's the best in the league, I think. Maybe the Ravens have an argument, but like in terms of scheme, uh, this is the best in football. Uh, Shanahan's everybody copies it. Everyone borrows from it. The the stuff they do with Kittle, um, the stretch and cut is impossible. I mean, some of it is you're they're going to get yards. This is one of those games that I think that. Campbell and Glenn, they go into it knowing that no matter, you know, you could have a great personnel and you're going to give up yards to San Francisco. So that is what it is. Um, there are there are things with the linebackers that if you go back and you watch that game and you slow it down early in the game that I'm like, okay, this is uh, Jamie Collins, I'm going to need more from you. Uh, Anzalone, I'm going to need more from you. Because if I can't get more from those guys, I mean, there are some clips, Chris, if you go back and watch some of these play actions in the first quarter, in the first half, it's like, what the hell are you guys doing? There's one yeah. where they uh, ball fake to the fullback. Collins bites really hard. The fullback comes up, decleats Collins. Okay, so the middle of the field's completely wide open. Anzalone falls down, and uh, Debo Samuel just catches the ball and runs for like 25 yards. So, like, yeah. that was discouraging. I did not like <laughs> the linebacker play at all. Uh, I liked how Derek Barnes finished the game. I would like to see more of him. And I am holding judgment on the defensive front. I think that it's hard to say. We'll see on the front seven. I'm still waiting to see kind of where they're at. But the the secondary, I've got nothing for you. It's a complete mess. (laughs) Uh, And, you know, you feel horrible for Okuda um, and the Lions. Because, I mean, look, this is the deal. Like, he gets destroyed on that shot play, right? And we all saw it. Um, frustrated, everything else. They bring him to the sideline. Uh, we Everyone saw Aubrey Pleasant get in his ass earlier in the game. But, like, Pleasant's the first guy to meet him on the sideline. They talk about it. They go over it like they do every day. They have a good relationship. Aaron Glenn comes over, sits with Okuda. They go over everything. And then he goes back out there and gets a pass breakup. Makes a play, yeah. And then he blows his Achilles. And then it's like, my God. Like, so, I, yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't know. What do you, you, It's It sucks, but... No, it changes. Yeah, I mean, it changes just, everything too. You know, it's it's one of those things. Yeah, you're right, and I, I mean, I, I mentioned it in the game story. Like, I think that a lot of this is 
uh, Aubrey Pleasant kind of took it to the extreme there, probably screaming sure. in his face and yelling. But I think a lot of that is, and we've seen him do that in practice. Like I think that they do that because yeah, that's they true. see what could happen if they can get Okuda to the finish line. I think he needs uh, it. Yeah, right, exactly. You're right. Yeah. yeah, and I think he does need it to some extent. So, um, and as you pointed out, he came right back. Didn't sulk. Didn't you know? Storm off. Didn't throw his helmet. He went right back out there and, and he made a play. And so th- those are the moments that the Lions coaching staff kind of circles and said, "All right, well, this is this guy's doing what we want him to do." And then, unfortunately, you know, like three plays later, he's done for the year, right. and now you now don't what? know where to go from there. Yeah. The secondary is going to have trouble all year. I think we knew that. Regardless, you know, I don't think. Um, Amani Oroworie to me is a is a good guy to have on the roster. I don't know that he's a top two cornerback in this league. He's probably not right now. Now he's maybe your corner. Now he's maybe your he's one. one. Yeah. Uh, I don't maybe Melifanwu or Jerry Jacobs or whoever is your two. I mean, everyone's basically up like two spots from where they should be at the moment. And so Campbell said they got to go add someone. They might do it before we even get this this uh, podcast up, but there's not, it's not like there's a lockdown corner sitting out there. You're talking about a patch job to just try and get you through the season. And so um, no big answers coming there. And then, like you said, I mean, I think a lot of it too goes back to the front seven just was not good enough. I didn't, you know, flowers had the punch out on the play at the end, the fumble to keep him alive, but he didn't have a particularly good game. Brockers didn't play well. Nick Williams got (coughs) clobbered on some of those run plays uh, the linebackers weren't good enough. Will Harris was really bad again. Uh, and, and, and now you're up to like seven or eight of your starters who just didn't play very well. And so I don't know, you know, there's not really a way forward there unless some of these guys just start playing better. You could get Barnes some more reps. I thought they would get Dean Marlowe in there and they never really did. Um, it would help to get Owens Arike for sure. Cause he would take some of those Nick Williams reps, but at some point you're just, this is, these are the guys they've got to play better. And like you said, I think the matchup wasn't not great. Wasn't yeah. a great one coming out yeah. <laughs> because yeah. that team's going to throw a lot of stuff at you. They have probably the best blocking tight end in football and right. You know, oh, well, hundred percent. He's a one of the best blocking <laughs> tight ends I've probably ever, ever seen, seen in George yeah. Kittle. So <laughs> that changes the equation too. Oh, uh, um, yes. I, but so that's why you can't be losing. That's why Nick Williams and Brockers and all these guys can't be losing one on ones inside every time. And Will Harris can't be taking the wrong right. angle every time. And and Okuda got chewed out because he let that should have been an eight yard gain. It turned into a thirty five yard touchdown because he didn't step up and right. and make a play. So some of these little things have got to be better all, all the way. And like that's the thing where it's like a guy like even the guys like Collins and Anzalone where it's like. Yeah, they they weren't lost or like out of, but there were times in the game where it's like I need you need to sell out here. I need more from well, you. Collins. It has to be like all all you got. <laughs> like there are some reps yeah. earlier in this game with some of these outside zones where you turn it on and watch while Barnes defends an outside zone at the end of the game, and turn it on and watch how Collins defended at the beginning. Like those are things that you're not going to be able to get away with defensively, and that's the thing where Aaron Glenn's going to have to look at these guys and be like, look, man. I can't have it. Like, you can't duck under that block over there because you don't want to take that guy head on and go stuff. You know, like, some of that showed up. I'm not saying it happened every time, but some of it showed up. And I would also add, with the secondary, and I do want to talk about this, like, I think we have to see Dean Marlowe, and I think that they have to do something about Will Harris because as you go forward here, it's going to be hard to ask Jamie Collins, like, I need you to sell out on that run play when he's like, why would I do that when our safety is out of his gap every single time? He can't defend anyone in coverage. He's lost. And that's what it is. It's never lack of effort. It's never lack of whatever. Will Harris still far too often is in the wrong spot or isn't where he's supposed to be. And it's like, you can't, you can't play in the NFL if you can't understand where you're supposed to be in structure defensively. You are giving your team no chance. No chance. And, like, that's the stuff that I keep going back to in the secondary where it's like, at least with Okuda and the bust that he would have, he's in reasonable real estate to make a play. Awarie, same thing. He's, like, at least where he's supposed to be. 
We are seeing so many things with Will Harris where it's like, I don't even know where you're, where are you? What are you doing? So like <laughs> that one to me is like, is he playable if he can't, you know, make these reactions in time and kind of do the things he has to do on game days to make plays? I, I, that's the one where I still can't get over it. Like, I don't know how you play him. Yeah, my concern with him is that he's one of those guys who you have some players who don't practice that well yeah. and then go play really well, and you have some guys who are great practice players and then just can't translate it. And I am a little worried that Will Harris is one of those guys because all the coaches have talked about you know, how good he's been, how much improvement he's made. And I think we saw some of it in practice. He looked more decisive, and then you get out there on Sunday, and, and yeah, you're right. He's just late to pretty much everything. Like the, the long touchdown run where Okuda got chewed out, the guy he collided with 15 yards downfield is Will Harris. And the touchdown run or the touchdown pass that Okuda gave up, you know, where they, they dialed up a great blitz. Collins and Anzalone were right in Garoppolo's grill there. He floated one up. Your safety is not even in the picture. That that ball's 30, 35 yards. It's high arcing. Like that was just begging to get intercepted. Harris gets over late and then he misses the tackle and it turns into a touchdown. And so if he's going to be your last line of defense, he's got to provide some of that. Yeah, <laughs> like I you mean, said, I don't think he's providing any of that cover for these guys right now. And so maybe you're seeing people being more tentative uh, subconsciously because they exactly. know if you get past the second level, it's over. And that's what I was and just going to so, say. Like, right. I almost thought on that Okuda play live when it happened, I'm like, well, no wonder he, because he panicked in coverage, Okuda did. And at, we we're watching the replay, and I was like, well, no wonder he panicked. Harris is supposed to be over there, and Okuda knows that he's not going to be. Like, I mean, like, that's that's what I'm talking about, where it's like you got these young secondary defensive backs back there that trust and knowing your job and then also knowing where your help is and everything else is a huge part of this. And would you have a guy who's consistently letting you down because he's not where he's supposed to be, you can't look at the other 10 and be like, hey, guys, let's rally around and go figure this out. Like, that's the thing I'm talking about, where it's like, will the, the strong safety position here is so important to everything they're doing on the back end and in the run game. He has to be able to support the run. And we talk a lot about him getting lost in coverage, but his inability to fill, fit, and be a reasonable extra hand in run support is, uh, is the thing that I also can't get over here, where it's like, I, I know what we're going to see when we go go watch them play Green Bay. They're going to target him every time he's out there. They're going to have runs dialed up that exploit him, and they're going to get him moving on defense and try to get matchups to beat him. That's what Rodgers does every single time they play the Lions when Harris is back there. And, like, how can you not think any other way that this is going to happen? I mean, it's we're not seeing anything different. So, like, that's how much longer does that go on? And I guess that's the question I have here. All right, so that's – I wanted to get – like I said, I want to get to a few questions here, and that that sort of leads us into one. We've covered a bunch of these topics. We had a bunch of questions about Decker, a bunch of questions about golf and the passing game. One here on the secondary, you know, are there any pieces in place in the secondary that you would consider to be part of the long-term plans? I mean, I think we thought maybe Walker could be one of those guys. Okuda obviously was supposed to be, but beyond that, I don't know that we've seen enough from Melifonwu to make a judgment yet, but as you're looking at it now, how many of these guys do you think are here in two or three years, and how big of a need is this as they go into the offseason in a few months? Yeah, you need Melifonwu to be on that list, I would say. I would say. That would help. Uh, and Walker. <laughs> and you need Walker. Walker to be on that list. I think Walker is on that list. I mean, I think that, you know, he's definitely one of two, I would say. Like, don't judge his coverage uh, grade or performance totally from that game because he had to deal with Kittle uh, a couple times. And there was one, right. the one big one that they got Walker on, I mean, in the second half, I think it was, was like impossible. It was an impossible cover. It was a play action that they ran that, I mean, my God, no one's, no one is stopping that. So well, I think Walker's on that list right now. I think um, Melifonu is on that list until proven otherwise. But I guess the thing that I, I guess you're looking for, you know, you got 20 snaps for AJ Parker and he did okay. Like, is he, are you going to maybe see if you can sneak him in there? But like beyond that, the math, the math sort of has to change now because I don't know how much we talked about this yesterday. How much can you reasonably now, if you're the franchise expect that Jeff Okuda is going to be quarterback one ever again here? I mean, none. Yeah. yeah you, you can't, you can't assume that at all. So you have to, 
move forward here, and I think your math changes on how you approach the draft, how you approach free agency, and everything else. So I don't know if Oruarie's played himself into a spot where he's absolutely an answer that you're going to lean on forever. I don't think you can do that with Okuda. I think you can with Walker right now, and I think you can with Melifanu right now, but everything else has to be like you're you're starting over in almost all these spots. Well, so uh, another question here then was about, you know, at what point do the Lions consider using some of this draft capital and making a splash? And and people keep bringing up a bunch of questions, and it came up in the offseason, C.J. Henderson in Jacksonville because he was reportedly on the trade block. I think he played every defensive snap this week, so I guess he's in the plans there for the moment, but that franchise looks like it could be oh, in a spot to give up some guys at some point here. Um, and that, you know, that's a name, mm-hmm. uh, you know, first round pick. Maybe you get him for right something in the mid rounds and, and see if you can turn it around. But um, I don't know. I think that's a tough conversation too. I don't know. I don't think you want to overreact to losing Okuda in week one and start giving away oh, no, 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 no. high draft picks where, you know, you're bringing in someone who's got to pick up this defense on the fly. You don't know very well. Um, I don't know. I, I think it's a good conversation to have in the off season because they're probably going to have to find a probably gonna have to draft someone and probably going to have to go find someone. And so yeah. talk, start talking about it then. I don't know. I, where do you stand? Like, is this a spot to go to go try and find a cornerback right now who can start? I mean, I think it would have to be. Again, I would say, like, the Lions can't be closed off to anything. Um, I think it would have to be something like you just sort of described, right? It would have to be a very unique situation almost where you're getting a younger corner with big upside for not much because the situation has soured or something. And you're like, you're, you think he can come in and, you know, quickly you know, fresh coat of paint maybe. Maybe it's like a Patricia situation. Get this guy away from a coach that he can't stand – Right, and you get him for cheap or something. If something like that happens, then like I think you have to look at it. If 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 it, I love that, that's a well, per- I mean, situation. But I mean, like that, you know, that exists. What if what if yeah, what if the Giants yeah. have a corner that just can't stand Joe Judge for one more day? Right, like like those are. I think those are the things that if you're the Lions, you you're looking at that sort of stuff. But I don't think you want to go out and make any kind of big no 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 swings. I think more. Likely, we would see maybe them go right now. And like I, I think Rashad Melvin's uh, phones are buzzing <laughs> here after week run. Like a guy like that, right? Like, yeah, like that type of guy. Yeah, yeah, like a like an older guy who can get you through the year. Um, whatever that costs, I don't know. It's probably not going to be much. You're not going to want to spend much on it. But get yourself through the year and then monitor as whole. You know, and Holmes does this all the time. He talks so much about how they stack players and all that sort of thing. Really heavily monitor the corner market. I think just. Monitor all of that, and you were going to do it anyway, but really monitor those guys who you think could maybe turn into a CB1, but are like two or three on some depth chart somewhere right now, right? Like those types of guys are the guys you're looking for. But then also, I think, yeah, I mean, how much more of a priority now is corner in the draft? I it I would think pretty, pretty high, I think, right? Like I think it shoots up quite a bit from what we talked about maybe a week ago at this time. I mean, what, what would your thoughts be on that? Because... I, I think it's right now you're relying on almost nothing there. There's nothing that you can totally count on as like a no doubt option for you going forward. Yeah. I mean, I think it's going to have to be a priority. I do also think they need to get, I mean, I've thought since April that they needed to add a veteran there and Nikel Roby Coleman doesn't really help you because he's a slot guy. He's like a five. Right. I don't even know what they have him listed. Yeah. He looks like he's about five, six, five. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> So I don't know how much he's played a little outside in his career, but I, that's not a guy you're sticking out there to defend Devonte Adams or something like that. So I think that both now and in the future, you need to reevaluate it. But yeah, I mean, I think you've got to get, I think as you're going into this off season, you're probably going to have to set your board and say, all right, we need a number one cornerback. And yeah, right. I don't know where the answer for that comes, whether it's free agency, maybe that's a spot where you say, let's okay, let's just spend, 12 million on a guy and we'll leave the rest of the spots to young guys and we'll see if we can make that work for a little bit yeah but you're gonna need yeah, someone maybe. in there who can who can handle those tough matchups because yeah i don't think it's at the moment i don't see anyone who's going to do it internally so it's 
I don't know. And I don't know that Okuda was ever going to be that guy either. I don't I think either. They were trying to figure it out. Yeah. So you might have had the same problem headed into the offseason, whether he was healthy or not. Well, I think that Okuda, too, is, a, is something to make a point on here. When we say the Lions can't go forward um, reasonably expecting he's their top corner, it, that doesn't mean that Jeff Okuda's career is over and they should never try again. Right. Because right. The, thing, the thing to remember here is the Lions currently have no one. They have zero. Their corner, de- their corner depth doesn't exist. So if Jeff Okuda rehabs for a year and comes back and is is able to help you in any way, shape, or form, you take that. But like whatever that is, is what it is. You can't bank on him coming back and being your starting number one corner next year. That doesn't seem today logical, and it won't seem logical in the offseason or any point. So I don't want it to get skewed or confused into us saying like they should just cut Okuda tomorrow and like be done with him because like there'd be no point in doing that but for planning purposes I think as of last week you were more in line of thinking he could possibly be your top corner and now that's not something that you can reasonably you know lean on going forward all right so let's sneak in one more here to close us out sort of looking ahead to this Monday nighter with Green Bay because we had a, a few questions about what prayer the Lions had defensively? Like, is there anything that they can do defensively to make the Packers feel uncomfortable? And then the flip side on offense, if Green Bay manages to take away Hawkinson and the running backs in the passing game, what does this Lions offense do? So uh, i let you take your pick on whether you want to talk offense or defense. Well, if, if the offense gets relegated to Hawkinson's been taken away and all your all you get is a stacked box and one on ones on the outside. Then they're not scoring any points. <laughs> would be would be my answer on that one, unless Goff, you know, totally changes. And that's to Chris's point earlier. Like maybe the Lions come out right away in this game and say, the first chance we get that you're going to give us that look, we're taking it and we're going to make you get out of it. Like so, th- those are the things I think you're looking at this week, knowing that, and then also you're looking at how Sewell holds up on the left side because there is going to be more speed. Um, you know, Green Bay is going to bring that. Uh, but yeah, I think that that's, can you establish the run and can you keep it reasonable and you can you keep it as a reasonable asset for yourself into the third quarter? If you can do that, you know, Green Bay got the crap kicked out of it last week. I I, I don't think that there's this unbeatable super team. Rodgers spent the whole offseason gallivanting around pretending he was Michael Jordan and then shows back up and looks like garbage. So he's going to be mad. But like, you know, they've got things to fix too. So Stick to your game. Stick to your game plan. If you can stick to your game plan as far into the third quarter as possible, I think that's the best best hope you got. But easier said than done. Yeah, I mean, defensively, obviously, they have to be more competitive against the run. I think the benefit is uh, some of the Packers' run elements look should look familiar from what they saw from the 49ers. And they also have some of the stuff the Lions do with Joel Williams looks kind of similar to what the Packers will do on the ground. So maybe you get some familiarity there and, and feel a little more comfortable with it. Hopefully you get Anzarike back. And again, you just get like Brockers has to play better and oh, yeah, <laughs> those linebackers so. have to play better. And so all these little things, maybe you just get a better performance across the board. I mean, I think the biggest thing, and it's not really so much a, a I hate even saying something so general because it feels like those keys to the game they show at the start of like college. <laughs> yeah, right. Like the ESPN two run the know, ball football game. Right, but like <laughs> the Lions have to keep this game more on their terms. This can't be thirty-one to ten at halftime. This has to be like thirteen to ten, and they've had possession for twenty minutes. Like that's the type of game they need to play to win, especially on the road against an offense like that. They really need to maintain. You know, all the things that they did well uh, and carried over and eliminate those mistakes. Because if they, we've seen what happens when they get off schedule and just how it kind of can spiral on them because they, they really aren't going to get enough stops to flip a game defensively on its own. And they're not built to do what they did in the final, like the final two minutes, I think were just more fluky than anything. Yeah, <laughs> like they're not right. built exactly. to do that. Exactly. They're not built to steam steam bag against someone from three touchdowns down this year. So no. that's really the key. Like this has to be pretty controlled from the start for them. Yeah, just be like a mosquito, right? Like just be be a gnat, be <laughs> right. there, just be like that's what I always say when people ask me about Michigan and Ohio State. Like I would say be there in the fourth quarter within two scores. Just be there yeah. to where they have to play the game honestly. 
the rest of the way, and they have to take you serious the rest of the way because you just don't know. And I think that that's the thing in the NFL that we see. It was fluky in the last two minutes, but we do see this in the NFL. It's a long game. I've argued for years that 60 minutes is too long for a football game. We we can we can determine the best team in 45. The last 15 is you make what you want of it, right? So like that's the plan for the Lions all year. And um, yeah, I think that that's what you're looking for. Just maintain yeah. and just kind of be a bothersome nuisance as long as you can and see what happens at the end. The last thing I'd say is this... Um... I think it's going to be really hard for teams to take Hawkinson out of games. It's really hard to design a defense to take a tight end away. I mean, again, to go back to that Monday nighter, Derek Carr threw to Darren Waller like 19 times. 37 yeah. times. <laughs> and it felt like it wasn't enough. And, yeah, right. And the 49ers kept finding Kittle. And like, you can find your tight ends. I think this offense, yeah, especially yeah, the way this point. offense is built, you can get the ball to your tight end if you want. But the goal has to be to get it to somebody other than your tight end at some point. So. I don't know that teams are going to be able to take away defenses aren't really built to take away the check down routes. Uh, and those are going to be there for your running backs and your tight end to some extent. So um, the question is whether you can get, again, can you get Hawkinson up the field and get him a 25 yarder or is everything going to be 10 yards? Uh, and so we'll see if they can do that. But that's a question that's sort of hovering over this offense in general, as we've covered. So uh, I will be at Lambeau on Monday night, my first uh, plane flight road trip since 2019. <laughs> so we'll, big we'll game. see how, uh, big game. See how Lambeau's looking in uh, good old Appleton, Wisconsin. How uh, do you think uh, uh, Dan Campbell's – what who do you think the Monday night football treatment is for Dan Campbell here? This is going to be fascinating. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Are you going to watch the uh, – well, Oh, you're I'm watching going, the so Eli gonna... cast. That okay, was great. I... <laughs> if anyone – if you guys haven't watched this – Man. Oh my God. Like everyone my... everyone knows how entertaining Peyton is, but like Eli Manning is hilarious. If you haven't like listened to this stuff, really good stuff. And it was entertaining too. My to favorite part of it was what you mentioned early. It's just like it was whenever something would happen where <laughs> Peyton would get annoyed yeah, yeah. and he'd just sort of like throw his arms up and lean back in his chair and then they talk about what the quarterback had done wrong. <laughs> I have a feeling he might be in for a night with Jared Goff, but we'll see if it's better. Yeah, I think that we'll they're going to have they're going to have an interesting conversation because they held nothing back. Like that was my favorite part. There was real quick yeah. before we go. There was my favorite part was there was the one in overtime. Uh, something happened where the Raiders screwed something up or whatever, and like they got a tackle for loss. And Peyton was like, "I don't care. That's fine. Just go to two minute." And Eli goes, "Well, I mean, you don't want a TFL there, Peyton, for crying out loud." So yeah, it'll be, it'll be an interesting watch. So that'll be fun. Yeah, OT there too. There, yep. they, <laughs> first and goal at the one or second and goal at the one, whatever it was. And Eli says, "Well, yeah, go on. Just one. Don't hard count here. There's no reason to hard count." And Derek Carr hard counts, and they get the false start. And I thought. They were going to walk off the set. It was so good. It was really good. Uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that too. So that's something to look forward to Monday night. I would definitely recommend watching those guys uh, discuss. You de- get some great insight into oh, the yes, Lions you offense. Yes, you will. Uh, it's Monday night, and so I defense. recommend that Absolutely. one. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, so uh, Monday night in Green Bay, we will uh, record... I guess whenever I get home on yeah, Tuesday. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so yeah. uh, we'll have an episode for you next week. Again, you can find us on the Athletic app now. Make sure you get over to theathletic.com. Get a subscription if you don't have one yet. We always got uh, some sort of deal running. I think we might have one day left here of our 50% off. Uh, you can also find us on Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play. Rate us, review us, subscribe. Keep sending questions if you want. And uh, we'll be back again next week. So for Nick, I'm Chris. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. 